Hey, now my name is Todd Hampton. I'm the high school pastor here and I've uh, been here for almost five years and uh, just excited to be here with you this morning and uh, honored and privileged and all of that uh, to be able to, uh, to speak to you. And this is the first time that they've let me on this stage and, uh, and speak. And so I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but uh, I don't feel like I deserve to be up here, but I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And uh, so here, here's how kind of this played out. So a couple months ago, uh, Pastor Brian and Paul and some of those guys came to particularly Brent, our kids pastor, and then Brad and myself who lead students and said, hey, we've, we've been dealing with a lot of heavy topics, been really tough. So we want to, we're coming into summer. We want to have a fun summer series. And so you, you guys are the kids and the student pastors. So we feel like you would be fun. And so we're going to give you the opportunity to speak. And so we, we want to do this series on joy and talk about, you know, joy for the summer and things like that. So of course we were like, yeah, that sounds great. That's cool. And so Brad started off a couple weeks ago, and, and he cheated a little bit, all right? He cheated, because he gave you guys free stuff. And, uh, and, and I, now I can't, now it's his idea, I can't do that. So uh, kind of threw out gift cards and all that kind of stuff, and, uh, which is why you always show up, because you never know if you're going to get something. And so he did that, did a great job of just talking about the difference between joy and happiness. And, uh, and then it's always fun having Tim Grandstaff in, uh, in town and speaking to us. And then last week, Brent spoke about having joy in the day-to-day. And, uh, and he, was, he was Brent. He's what we expect and what we love about Brent. And he did a good job too. And so then they said, hey, Todd, you're going to finish up the series. And we want you to talk about joy in suffering. <laughs> what? What's fun about that? What, how am I supposed to have fun? What? talk about suffering. I'm going to bum everybody out. I can't give away free stuff. I'm just that guy who bums you out and sends you out the door. That's what I get to be this morning. So who's ready to have some fun? All right. You guys are glutton for punishment or something. So uh, no, but I, and all, all joking aside, I believe that what we're going to talk about this morning is an important part of the conversation. If we're going to live with true joy. And so the definition that we've been using over the course of this series is this for joy. Joy is the ability given by God that enables love and hope and peace to be believed in and experienced in all circumstances throughout your life. Now, it would be a whole lot easier for us to live with joy in most circumstances throughout our life, wouldn't it? The problem is we can't eliminate those really painful ones. We can't eliminate those things. Those are all a part of life. And so True joy is the condition of our heart in every season and in every situation. And it is those painful circumstances a lot of times that for us can provide the ultimate test. Now, probably all of us can think about a time, a a big test or, you know, one of those major things that kind of stood in, in the way that you had to overcome or whatever and, uh, and so it can look different. Maybe for, for some of us, it's that, you know, you think back to college or even high school, that exam that you had to take that you knew was going to determine whether or not you passed or failed the course. Maybe it was in the form of a sports tryout. And so it was going to determine all of that practice, all of that hard work in the off season, if that was going to pay off or not. Maybe the test comes in the form of a temptation, And so maybe it tests our purity or it tests our integrity. Maybe it's our patience that gets tested at times when our boss is a jerk or when our kids lose their mind in the middle of Walmart. Not that I know what that's like. 
But it is those moments, those ultimate tests, and those tests reveal something really important. Do I measure up and do I have what it takes? Now for me, as I think about that, the ultimate test that immediately pops into mind wasn't in in the form of an exam, but rather was a phone call. So I'm 21 years old, I've got the world ahead of me, I'm so excited, goals, dreams, blah, blah, all of that stuff. And so one of the things that in order for me to accomplish some of these involved a phone call that I had to make. And it was something I'm like, I can't really avoid it, like I don't really wanna do this, but I, I just got to. And so the person that I was calling in a lot of ways was gonna determine whether or not they felt like I measured up. And so I'm sweating bullets, I'm nervous, I'm thinking through like, how am I gonna say this? What am I gonna do? And so I nervously pick up the phone and guy on the other end of the line answers. And I said, hey, uh, sir, and I'm stumbling through my words. I, I would just like to know, it would be an honor if, if this would be okay with you. And finally, the words come out. Can I have permission to marry your daughter? And there's silence on the other end. And it's probably for a couple of seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And so finally the voice says, Todd, it's about time. You've been dating our daughter for a couple of years now. We've been wondering when you were gonna, you know, get up the nerve to ask us for permission. We would be honored if you would marry our daughter. So I'm all of a sudden, big sigh of relief. So fast forward seven or eight months, wedding day comes, I'm standing up at the altar and in the back door comes the most incredible girl I've ever seen. She's walking down the aisle, her father is walking with her and she, they walk down the aisle and I'm, I'm not a crier, but I'm just like, ah, you know, just like ugly crying right now because I'm so excited, I can't believe I'm about to marry this girl. And so pastor says, hey, who gives you know, this woman to be married? Her dad says, her mother and I. And so it's that moment where I walk over and I'm like, well, we didn't really practice this. Am I like, am I gonna bro hug him? Am I like high-fiving? Like, what am I doing here? And so it's kind of this nervous, like, eh. And so finally I kind of go in for a hug and he reaches out and hands me his daughter's arm. And then he leans forward and he whispers in my ear, no refunds. And then he smiles and he walks over and he sits down. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how bizarre is that? This could have been our moment, man. You could have said something really nice to me or whatever. And he just said no refunds and smiled. And that was my dad, my father-in-law's personality. But to me, it revealed something important that in his eyes and in my mother-in-law's eyes, they felt like I measured up, that I was worthy enough to be able to marry their daughter. And for these tests that we experience, whatever that looks like, in an, whether it's an exam or a tryout or whether it's a phone call or whether it's even suffering, when it comes to joy in our life, suffering is the ultimate test. And it is that test that we study for, but we don't really know when it's coming. And I don't know that so much we acquire joy in the midst of suffering, although that's possible. But really, I think it's suffering that reveals to us whether or not we have joy to begin with. And if you and I don't have joy in the day-to-day circumstance, like what Brent talked about last week, then how can we expect to have joy in those really difficult or painful moments of life? How is it that we can have joy when we are mocked or we're despised because of our love for Jesus? How can we have joy when we get that terrible doctor's report that we dreaded? 
How can we have joy when we lose somebody we love in a tragic way? How can we have joy when we get fired from a job or when we have fought so hard for our marriage only to watch it fall apart? And I don't know this morning if you find yourself in one of those situations or one similar where you look at at a season in your life and you are just experiencing suffering. You're experiencing difficult circumstances. And the good news for us this morning is that the Bible gives us a lot of instruction for those seasons of life. And we can look at stories in the Bible of people like Job or like Joseph or David or we can look at the Apostle Paul, those guys that suffered greatly and yet they still maintained their joy. It seems like the early church on a daily basis was constantly experiencing a lot of suffering and a lot of difficulty, often because of their faith. And yet they were some of the most joyful people on the planet. And there's a whole lot of passages. In fact, in your notes on the app, there's a, there's a bunch of passages that, that you can read if you want to carve out some time this week. And I would encourage you to do that. But there is, one of those passages is in 1 Peter 4 and 5. And we're not going to read both of those chapters, but I do want to focus in on a couple verses from chapter 4. Here's what Peter says in verse 12 and 13. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, i.e. joyful. In other translations, use the word rejoice. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Now the word rejoice in this passage is the Greek word hiero. All right, how about high school pastor spitting out Greek like it's his job? Literally spitting, I saw some stuff, sorry. It is that word hiero, and it, and it means to be very glad, to be joyful, or to be well. And it's that same Greek word that's used in John chapter 20 when Jesus first appears to the disciples after the resurrection. It is that kind of joy that filled the disciples when they saw their risen Savior for the first time. And that's the kind of joy that we're encouraged to have. So how is it that we can have that kind of joy, especially in those moments of difficulty? As I've studied this over the last few weeks, I feel like I've tried to kind of narrow it down just to what I feel like is the thing, like the biggest, most important, what gives us the best perspective. And here it is. God uses trials and suffering to make us more like Jesus. All right, we got an amen. That's good. So some of you immediately, you go there, like your heart kind of aligns with that. Man, that's, that's incredible. Maybe that strikes some of us as a little bit odd. Maybe that's kind of, if you thought, man, I don't know that that would be the thing. Like I would come up with some other stuff or other reasons or whatever. Why is that the thing? Because for some of us, when trial and suffering comes, we end up kind of pushing God out of the picture or we start questioning or doubting his love or his goodness. And maybe some of us, we have thoughts like, God, I'm mad at you because of this and you want me to be like you? 
But I think it's important for us to go back to the beginning and understand what God's original purpose, what God's intent is for us. That God's chief purpose for us is not our happiness, but it's to make us like himself. That's what God desires for us more than anything else, for us to bring him glory by making us like himself. That's what God desires. And if you think about it, it is the highest honor. It is the greatest purpose that you and I could ever be given. That lost and broken people could be redeemed, could be set free from their sins, and then could be made like we were originally intended to be, like the Savior. There is nothing greater that we could experience. And it shows how loving and gracious our God is that he would go to such an extent to make us like himself. But that begs the question, why does suffering have to be a part of that? Why is suffering a part of the equation? Why can't he use other things? Why does that have to be part of what he uses? Because nothing has potential to make us like Jesus more than suffering. It is those moments of suffering that bring a greater dependence on Jesus. Those moments where we can't rest in on, well, I I got this situation. I've done this before. I know how to handle this. It causes us to press in to God. It causes us to, to feel like, God, if you don't show up in this situation, I'm in big trouble. It causes us to lean into him and to be dependent on him that honestly, those times when we're happy, when we're comfortable, they don't really provide us. It's a whole lot easier for us to kind of forget about God or kind of say, hey God, you kind of stand over there and when things get crazy, I'll kind of pull you in and invite you into this. But in suffering, we realize our need for him and we hear his voice the loudest. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The other thing that suffering provides is it helps us identify with our savior. Because it was Jesus himself that suffered and he suffered for us. And so it's those moments of suffering where we're able to identify to a greater extent with what our Savior went through. And as much as we would say, man, I would never willingly choose this, we start to begin to understand that, you know what, God chose this. God loved us enough that he chose this path, that Jesus willingly gave up his life and he suffered and he bled and he died for you and for me. And so our suffering gives us a greater appreciation for the cross. It helps us understand, God, I cannot believe that you would love me this way. In a lot of ways, I feel like as, as you read the New Testament, that's, that's kind of the perspective that the early church had. I mean, they almost looked at suffering as a, as a badge of honor. They almost looked at it as a privilege that, that I get to suffer like my Savior suffered. And that's, I think, why Peter says that our suffering makes us partners with Christ in his suffering. And we can identify with what he went through for us. We can even be like Jesus in our questions. 
wanna encourage you this morning, if maybe you find yourself begging God to take away your present circumstance, that even Jesus did that in the garden on the night before he died. And Jesus had that moment where he's going, God, there's gotta be another way. God, there's gotta be another way that we can go about this. Why does your plan have to involve me suffering? But Jesus also didn't stay in that place for long. And he was committed and desired God's will above his own. And when he understood that this was God's plan, he trusted God's plan and he got up and he marched to the cross. And he trusted God's plan and it was God's plan of suffering for him that brought hope and life to us. And so if Jesus himself suffered and God wants to make us like Jesus, then we can, we can understand that we're gonna suffer like Jesus suffers. But not only that, we can trust that God has a plan and a purpose for our suffering too. As recently as, you know, just a, a few years ago, I remember reading passages like this and, and really struggling to be able to identify with that. Seeing the way that the, the early church suffered for their faith, and I'm like, well, I haven't really been beaten or thrown in jail for my faith. I, mean, I got made fun of in middle school some, but that's, everybody gets made fun of in middle school. And so I, I really had a hard time. I'm looking at my life like, man, I've, I've been through some situations and some, some struggles and, and my share of things, but I, I haven't really, like nothing super intense, nothing really crazy like what I read about. And a couple years ago, I remember, you know, as, as I was spending time reading and, and I almost felt like God was saying, hey, Todd, your, your time of suffering is coming. And it wasn't one of those like, Todd, you'll suffer, you will suffer one day too, like I suffered. He didn't talk like Dracula's ghost, first of all, but <laughs> it wasn't an audible thing. It was, it was just a sense that I got in my heart of God saying, hey, look, you may not feel like you've been through those moments, but you will. And l- literally a month later, my uh, family's asleep, wife and I are, are in bed, out cold, early, super early one morning, my phone rings. I pick it up and it's my father-in-law. And I thought, that's bizarre. Why is he calling so early? And so I handed the phone to my wife and she's a little bit, you know, uh, nervous about this. And so she answers the phone and you could tell that my, my uh, father-in-law had been crying on the other end. And he says, sweetheart, I got some, some bad news. Uh, your older brother, Tony, was, uh, was killed in a tragic accident last night. And I remember her just screaming, no, no, no. And, and I'm thinking, man, am I still dreaming? Is this, is this reality right now? And my wife and her older brother were super close. And he was an incredible guy, was a firefighter, uh, had just recently been married, was a, a middle school small group leader at this church. I mean, everybody wanted to be like Tony. Everybody loved Tony. And we actually named our son's middle name is Anthony after his uncle Tony. And so needless to say, it was a devastating blow. And I remember those days and weeks and months after that of just all of the questions and all of the pain and all of the, God, what are you doing? Why, it, why is this a part of your plan? How could this be good? And even three years later, not feeling like I got God's master plan that is just laid out before us. 
But over the last three years, I've watched God do some incredible things in all of us, but in particular, my wife. I watched her find a new level of hope in Jesus. I watched her begin to have a greater understanding and appreciation for heaven. That not only will that be an opportunity for her to see her brother again, but setting her sights on that and understanding that that is our home. That's what God has called us to, not the temporary stuff that we get caught up in. And to watch her begin to focus her attention and her life around what mattered most. And I feel like God uses suffering and things in our life to bring about that perspective for us. And our ability to experience joy in suffering is dependent on our answer to that question. What do I want most? What do I want most? Because if what God wants most is to make us like him, what is it that we want most? And Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. But the problem is we sort of define what rich and satisfying life means. And we define that as happiness and comfort and blessings. And that's what we want most. And so we feel like, well, that must be what God wants most for us. And yet it's in those moments of suffering, in those moments of pain, that we lose our happiness and we lose our comfort. And all of a sudden we're standing there going, what, what do I have left? And if what we want most is happiness and comfort, the best that we can experience in those moments of suffering, the very best is just to suck it up. Like that's the best that we could experience. At the worst, we end up going to a dark place. We get angry. Maybe we give up on God or we give up on our faith. And maybe you've been in those places. Because when, what hap- when happiness is the goal, that's what we desire most. Suffering can often bring about resentment or anger or even self-pity. Because what we want most is something temporary. So the very best that we can hope for is just to suck it up in those moments and push through in suffering. But I don't believe that what God wants most for us is just to suck it up. I think God wants for us to experience joy. And as difficult as it may be, especially in those dark moments, that's what God desires for us to experience. What if... What we wanted most was Jesus. What if when Jesus defined a rich and satisfying life, he defined that as himself? That Jesus gives us himself. And if we have Jesus, then he gives us not just a part of who he is, he gives us everything. We have Jesus no matter what is going on. And when we have Jesus, with that comes his power and his presence and his peace and his love and his goodness and his joy. And in those moments of suffering, we learn to let go of the temporary and we begin to focus and set our sights on what's permanent. 
And when Jesus is what we want most, suffering brings about a deeper and a closer walk with Jesus, which is cause for joy because that's the thing that we wanted to begin with. Here's what James says in chapter one, two through four. He says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. To be perfect and complete, in other words, to be like Jesus. And when he is what we desire most, when we are like him, then we have what it takes no matter what life brings our way. We can experience and live with joy in the midst of suffering because these temporary trials can bring about a permanent result, becoming like Jesus. So my, uh, my wife and I, next month, are celebrating our 15-year anniversary. And so we, um, last month, we took a trip and did something that we've been wanting to do for 15 years and feel like we've saved up for 15 years. And that was we took a 10-day trip with no kids to Hawaii. And it was unbelievable. And I know you're sitting there looking, going, Todd, I knew that you had been somewhere tropical this summer because of your incredible tan. And so I, why are you laughing? I'm serious. This is, this is the best I got. No, it was an amazing trip. If you haven't been, I encourage you to go. We'll have travel agents that will be at the help center after, and they'll book your trip today. No, it was an incredible trip. And so here, the first part of the trip, we stayed on Oahu, and our uh, hotel balcony overlooked Waikiki Beach. All right? Can't get much better than this. All right? So check this out. This is not some postcard I picked up in a you know, store pulled off a vacation website, like I legit took this picture with my phone. All right, that was, that was our hotel balcony view right there. Kind of tough to beat that. Not trying to one-up you. I don't know what you've done for the summer, but that was what we did, all right? So it was incredible. And here's one of the crazy things about Hawaii is because of the time change, you wake up four or five in the morning, you can't go back to sleep, you're wide awake. And so you've got a, a choice. You either stare at the ceiling or you get up and you walk outside and you look at stuff like that. And so it's a no-brainer. And so most mornings I'm up, you know, we felt like we conquered the world and it wasn't even noon yet, you know? And so you early birds, I now know how, how you feel. So this is probably taken at like six in the morning, something like that. And uh, so I would go out there in the mornings and just spend time enjoying the view and spending time with God. And so I, this morning I began to look out and focus in on the ocean and you can't really see it in this picture, but there are little tiny dots that are actually surfers that are out there in the water. And so there must have been over a hundred, at least a hundred of them out there. And so I discovered that these surfers will get up four or five in the morning and they will paddle out there and they will spend several hours out there catching waves and just enjoying that. And then they will come in and they will shower on the beach and they will go to work for the day. All right, sounds like quite the life. And so I'm sitting here watching this and I would watch a, you know, a surfer kind of ride the wave a pretty good distance and I would watch some get knocked off pretty quick. And, and so as I was watching this picture, I started to think about there are three places that these surfers are in. They're either getting ready for that wave 
They're currently riding the wave or they've just come off the wave. And as I thought more about the surfer and what makes them get up at an ungodly hour to be able to experience that and battle sharks maybe out there or whatever, I started to to understand that for the surfer, the waves were not something to be avoided. In a lot of ways, those waves made the surfer feel the most alive. Those waves provided things to the surfer that the beach never could. And as I began to look at it and think about this message that I had to give and, and, and all of that and just kind of that picture, I thought, man, there's, there's some similarities here. That all of us are like those surfers. We're all out in the water. We can't hide on the beach. We're all out there. And we, we find ourselves with those waves representing the suffering and the trials in our lives. And we're all in one of three places. Either we are waiting on that wave we're currently riding that wave or we've just come off the wave. And those waves that come through, we often sometimes, especially if we're in the middle of that, we can sometimes feel like God is off in a distance on a hotel balcony and he's disconnected with what we're going through. And yet the truth and the reality for us is that God is very involved. That God, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, that God is with us and God is for us and God lives inside of us. And God is bringing about those waves into our life to make you and me more like him. In a lot of ways to make us most alive. And we can't, rather than us run from it or try to paddle away from it or whatever, I think what God desires for us to do is to face it, to stare it down, to stare down that wave because God's the one that owns the tide. And rather than us being fearful or anxious or nervous, we look at those waves that are coming into all of our lives at some point or another with the perspective that Jesus wants us to have, that God, I desire you most. I want you the most. And as painful and as difficult as it may be, and I would never choose this, but God, if and when that storm or that wave comes into my heart and my life, God, I'm gonna trust that you have a plan for this. And I'm gonna allow you to make me more like yourself. And if we are able to have that kind of perspective, then we can live with joy because we know that God is with us and we know that God is for us and God is making us like him. And if that's the case, then you and I have what it takes no matter what life brings our way. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you love us enough. As crazy as it sounds, that you would allow us to go through difficult circumstances. God, I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. That not only did you rescue and redeem us, but God, your desire is to make us more like yourself. 
God, I know that there are probably people in the room who are currently riding that wave or maybe they feel like they've just got thrown from it. God, I pray that you would help them to understand that you are with them, that you love them and that you would bring a greater dependence and a need for you into their life where they would set their sights not on the temporary, but on the permanent. God, I pray that all of us would trust you regardless of what season we may find ourselves in right now. God, may we live with joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.